This is a Tech Briefs Media Group podcast. Welcome to another Tech Briefs Media Group Who's Who at NASA podcast. Today I'm on the line with Dr. Robert Okochi, research electronics engineer at the NASA Glenn Research Center in Cleveland, Ohio. Robert is currently doing cutting-edge work in high-temperature microelectrical mechanical systems. Robert, thanks for being with us. You're welcome. Robert, what kinds of work have you done uh, with MEMS, particularly the silicone carbide sensors? Uh, basically, uh, um, I will say that I have essentially focused on uh, uh, focused on the area of MEMS-based pressure sensors uh-huh. uh, using silicone carbide. Uh, which basically allows us to extend the uh, uh, operational capability of the pressure sensor from uh, the conventional silicon pressure sensor, which is around uh, uh, 200 degrees, 300 degrees, all the way to uh, uh, 600 and uh, uh, you know and beyond. So we are looking at applying MEMS-based uh, MEMS-based silicon pressure. MEMS-based silicon carbide pressure sensors in, in temperatures that exceed 600 degrees centigrade. Right. You just you, you demonstrated uh, reliable sensors uh, at 600 degrees Celsius. What were your challenges there? Well, uh, there are two fundamental challenges. One is the uh, uh, the establishing of a thermally stable contact metallization to the device itself, and also uh, the packaging that supports the device. So, uh, if you don't have a, a stable contact metallization to the device or uh, a robust packaging that supports the device, you basically don't have a functional device. So, uh, those are the two uh, fundamental challenges that uh, that had uh, uh, for quite a while delayed the uh, application of silicon covered pressure sensors in high temperature environments. Mm-hmm. And so, what was the breakthrough there? Yeah, the breakthrough basically was the demo. The, it was the development of a uh, um, of a robust uh, contact metallization uh, that is stable, and also uh, the second breakthrough uh, was the development of a packaging that is uh, basically uh, compatible with the uh, silicon carbide device itself. Uh, the main issue with packaging is that at temperature you have Differences in uh, uh, um, in the coefficient, uh, you have differences in the coefficient of thermal expansion between materials. So when you go to high temperature, this difference in CTE begins to manifest itself in in form of uh, fatigue. So when you go to cycle the device, at, you know from hot to cold, the fatigue generally leads to the uh, degradation of the device performance. So what we have done is engineer the package so that each uh, coefficient of thermal expansion is essentially uh, uh, closer to the coefficient of thermal expansion of silicon carbide. So you now have a harmonious uh, functionality between package and sensor. Why are sensors for high temperature environments so important? What are we using? Uh, what are we going to use them for currently? reasons. Uh, uh, one most important reason is uh, as we continue to um, work towards the reduction of 
hydrocarbons during during combustion, Mm -hmm. uh, it becomes very important to know exactly uh, how to control the uh, production of these uh, hydrocarbons. And to do that, we require that you have the sensor as close as possible to the source of the uh, uh, to the source of the production of the hydrocarbons. So that means that uh, you basically want to put the sensors as close to the combustion chamber of the engine as possible, so that you can have a real time monitoring of the uh, of the generation of the uh, of the generation of the uh, of the hydrocarbon. So that you can now apply the necessary uh, control mechanisms to uh, to minimize the uh, production of hydrocarbons. Um, another uh, significant reason is that, as again, as as engines continue to uh, progress towards lean burn, mm-hmm. in other words, when you burn lean, you are again. Uh, Working to reduce the emission of NOx. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, but as you continue to burn lean, it, it, when I say lean, I mean uh, fuel air ratio. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, which again, of course, helps in the uh, efficient uh, uh, combustion of fuel. So there are many. I mean, there are many uh, gains you get in you know in burning lean. However, as you as you work towards burning lean, you run into What's called lean blowout, which means uh, there's always a tendency for the flame to go off. So think about it. You don't want to be at 35,000 uh, feet and have you know your combustion go off your engine. Right. So um, in order to prevent this kind of uh, problem, you you need to have a pressure sensor as close as possible in the combustion chamber that will sense the onset of lean blowout and then activate the necessary control mechanisms to suppress the lean blowout and allow it so that the engine will continue to run uh, effectively. Otherwise, uh, uh, you might run into a situation where, in fact, this lean blowout situation could uh, uh, potentially damage uh, some critical engine parts. So there are many... There are many other applications, especially again in the in the area of uh, renewable energy. As we continue to explore uh, new sources of energy, uh, you need uh, high temperature pressure sensors for geothermal energy exploration. Um, you want to go down uh, into the earth as deep as perhaps six kilometers, where the temperature is about uh, is between 350 and 400. 400 degrees C in a supercritical liquid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need um, sensors like uh, like the silicon covered pressure sensor to survive in that harsh environment in order to monitor the supercritical pressure. Um, silicon devices or uh, devices that are based on uh, conventional silicon uh, will not cut it. So that's why we need to develop this new. Um, family of men's um, pressure sensors based on silicon carbide that will essentially survive uh, um, such harsh environments. Right. Is that the, the main advantage of the silicon carbide is that it can survive the, the harsh environment? Yes. And, uh, and of course, it's due to its uh, far superior 
thermal mechanical properties uh-huh. uh, you know over silicon it's uh it's 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 chemistry it's it's almost uh uh near inert in other words it does not react with uh you know with the environment as uh, for example silicon will do so that gives it its uh, its uh stability it's it's also uh, very stable mechanically uh it has a very high young's modulus uh which allows it to handle heavy uh heavier loads than uh uh the equivalent thickness of uh, uh of silicon so um, basically what we're doing now is to leverage these superior properties of silicon carbide and use the material as a basis for sensing. And of course, other applications include um, uh, the planned mission to, uh, to Venus, mm-hmm. okay, the planet. Uh, on Venus, the atmospheric temperature on Venus is, you know, it's pretty much close to 500 degrees centigrade. Uh, the atmospheric pressure is, is about 90 bar, that means 90 atmospheres. Uh, these are the kind of devices that we're going to be potentially using on that planet when we go to uh, conduct science uh, uh, science missions. Uh, the same thing applies to any planet that has uh, pretty high temperatures and uh, high, you know, high uh, uh, high pressure. A combination of which uh, will will require uh, the use of uh, uh, you know, devices uh, that are based on silicon carbide. Mm-hmm. And I also saw that you do work with um, silicon carbide accelerometers, and I was curious about what the advantages are of that and what kinds of uh, extreme impact applications we're talking about. Uh, yes, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we had uh, uh, an earlier collaboration with the uh, uh, with the Air Force Research Lab out there at, you know, at Eglin Air Force Base in Florida, mm-hmm. uh, in which we were essentially exploring the use of uh, silicon carbide-based accelerometer to uh, to measure extreme impacts. Okay, we're talking about uh, you know impacts that you know could be as high as 200 kilogs. Okay, uh, you would need silicon carbide for the. Uh, for such extreme impact environments, because again, you want a material that has the mechanical stability that will uh, survive that environment and transmit the necessary data that you require to conduct uh, uh, whatever decision that you want to conduct. Mm-hmm. What What is the another? Thing I was curious about: What is the the lean direct injection array, and what kinds of uh, work did you do with that? Yeah, the lean direct injection again uh, uh, relates to the lean uh, uh, fuel air ratio that I was talking about. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, again, as we continue to march towards lean burn in order to uh, improve fuel uh, combustion efficiency and in order to reduce the uh, level of NOx, uh, you know, that's being generated. Um, it will require that we, you know, we also investigate the fuel injector itself. How does the fuel uh, deliver fuel into? I mean, how does the injector deliver fuel into the combustion chamber of the engine? Okay, and 
We then realized that in order to, to do that, you need to develop what's called the lean direct injector. That means it, it is an injector that would provide you the opportunity to burn lean. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, lean burning high, um, comes with higher temperature also. Now, uh, traditional lean direct injectors use uh, uh, metal plates, but the problem with metal plates such as celestial is, you know, when when uh, when these plates go through thermal excursion, that that is, you know, that's very common in these engines, um, they tend to warp, or the injector um, holes themselves tend to coke. So there's something called coking. Mm-hmm. That means uh, coking means uh, when the fuel um, gets carburized inside the uh, injector orifice. I mean, these orifices could be as uh, small as uh, uh, eight thousandths of an inch. So once once it cools, it blocks the orifice and fuel does not flow in uh, flow through the combustion chamber. Mm-hmm. And of course, in that situation, you now have a, a an inefficient combustion of fuel. Now, uh, what I have done now was to introduce silicon carbide as a basis for the lead direct injector. Why am I using silicon carbide again? I'm taking advantage of the near inert surface chemistry of the material. As a result of that, you essentially significantly minimize the uh, coking uh, phenomenon. Mm -hmm. It also begins to offer us a new opportunity to create a a divergent uh, technology path that will allow us now to introduce on this uh, silicon carbide lead direct injector platform, we can now begin to introduce silicon carbide pressure sensors, silicon carbide flow sensors, silicon carbide electronics onto the lead direct injector platform if we do all that, we are now beginning to talk about smart fuel injectors. These are injectors that will have uh, a high degree of autonomous functionality. Uh, it will allow it to sense the temperature in the combustion chamber. It will allow it to sense the pressure in the combustion chamber. And with all the information it gets, sends the information to the uh, silicon carbide-based electronics that is in a pretty much close to the combustion chamber, and the electronics will now instruct the actuator, which is again based on silicon carbide, to control or modulate the fuel in order to bring the combustion process to within nominal operation. Uh, you cannot implement this in a metal-based uh, direct injector because of the obvious uh, Mechanical limitations of the you know of the you know, of that material. Mm-hmm. Can you take me through the high fly program and how the uh, silicone carbide sensors were used there? Yeah, the high the high again uh, uh, in the high fly program, we also want to you know bring to bear on the high fly pro- program the robust functionality of the silicone carbide pressure sensor that we have developed uh, in the high fly program, which is essentially a a uh, hypersonics uh, program where 
the combustion uh, temperature could go as high as uh, 3000F mm-hmm. or, or higher for a uh, for a few minutes because um, it, 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 in most hypersonic engines, um, the duration of flight is relatively short. Okay, because you you basically want to use the engine to access space, and uh, from ground to space is you know is a, is a, you know uh, takes about a few minutes, but it's a few minutes of aggressive combustion. Okay, and you need to monitor all the uh, functional health of the engine as you you know as you launch from ground to space. Uh, so in doing so, you. Uh, you want pressure sensors in the flow path of the engine to give you, again, real-time measurements of the flow velocity, the flow conditions, the overall flow conditions of the, uh, of the combustion process to allow you, again, understand how to uh, continuously improve uh, the performance of the engine in the future. So the HiFi program offered us an opportunity to utilize uh, the high-temperature silicon carbide that we developed uh, to test uh, to test in a uh, um, in a hypersonic uh, test uh, rig. Mm-hmm. What are you working on currently as a research electronics engineer? Um, I'm, I'm currently working on uh, three fundamental areas right now. My main focus right now is how to extend the uh, temperature environment of my sensor, of my pressure sensor, from 600 degrees C to 1,000 degrees centigrade. Uh, because I, I feel that if I, if, I can, if, I can, if I can develop a pressure sensor that operates reliably at, at 1,000 degrees C, um, it will extend its lifetime to several years if if such device operates at a lower temperature, okay? Mm-hmm. In other words, if I develop a 1,000 degrees of pressure sensor that, say, will survive maybe a few months, uh, it implies that if I, would, if I were to operate the device at, say, 600 or 700 degrees C, uh, the prediction uh, based on the mill based on the mean time of failure analysis, mm-hmm. the prediction is that operating the device at a 600 degree C or 700 degree C environment will extend the functional lifetime of the device to more than 10, uh, 10 years. Mm-hmm. So that's my goal. My goal now is, you know, my, main, my primary focus now is to make my pressure sensor perform even much better than it currently does. Do you have a team that you're working with, or is, are you working by yourself? How does that work? Oh, no, we have, you know, we have, you know, we have, uh, we have a bunch of research uh, uh, individuals here uh, that uh, uh, that work on specific aspects of uh, you know of the device. Uh, so, in my team, for example, uh, my team that focuses on the silicon carbide pressure sensor, uh, I have about uh, half a dozen people. Uh, in my team, that uh, primarily work on my uh, technology, you know, the silicon carbide pressure sensor, the silicon carbide accelerometers, and fuel injectors. Mm-hmm. 
What are the biggest challenges uh, of working with high temperature electronics? Uh, <laughs> uh, the biggest challenge is that, first of all, you don't have uh, that many options in terms of uh, the devices that you want to use uh, to monitor the behavior of the uh, of the sensor because there are, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, there is no high temperature electronics out there that one can use as a basis for signal conditioning of the pressure sensor. So that's that's a main challenge. So until we are able to until we are able to develop a silicon carbide electronics that will survive uh, say uh, 600 degrees C, then it be, it becomes a challenge to be you know to be able to condition the signal of my pressure sensor. So that for me that's my challenge right now, and I consider that I I consider that to be the uh, technology gap that currently exists, okay, it limits the uh, functional capability of the pressure sensor because you don't have a signal conditioning circuit that goes along with the sensor itself. Mm -hmm. with, a, with a sensor that potentially operates at 1,000 degrees, what do you see as some interesting um, applications for that kind of device? Take us through a, a typical day of yours. Oh well, a, uh, a typical day would be uh, uh, coming in. Uh, first thing you want to do is uh, jump into the clean room and uh, and begin processing uh, uh, my devices. In, you know, in the uh, class 100 clean room that we have here, uh, this clean room is where we do is where we do all the fabrication of the devices. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, we have our own clean room here, so uh, I spend half of the day uh, in the clean room, mostly in the clean room, you know, helping in the fabrication of these uh, different uh, devices. And uh, at the end, you know, step, you know, step out and uh, focus on uh, analyzing uh, the test results that's, you know, that's going on in my lab. Uh, so I have it, you know, I, you know, I work in the clean room, and I also have my test lab where I test the devices that I fabricate in the clean room. So, uh, so it's, it's a combination of um, trying to bring a device to life and then making sure that, you know, the device is, you know, is functioning properly in my, you know, in my lab, after which, you know, we now send uh, some of the uh, devices out for packaging. Uh, and then they come back from packaging and then we have to do the uh, reliability uh, uh, analysis or testing here. So, uh, fabric a combination of fabrication, uh, post-fabrication, uh, lab testing, packaging, and uh, post-packaging, long-term characterization of the device. So, that's basically, you know, uh, that's that's essentially my whole day uh, uh, effort here. That's great. What would you say is the most satisfying part of your job? Um, the unknowns, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, uh, 
affected the unknown, basically, because sometimes um, your prediction does not, you know, essentially uh, uh, reproduce itself. In other words, uh, you you have a hypothesis that you're going with, and you know you and you thought you've taken care of all your all the physics and the and the, and the math and the calculations, and and at, at the end of the day, you're surprised at some new phenomena that you encounter, which actually makes it you know makes it very interesting because uh, any new phenomena that we encounter opens opportunity for new ideas and new and new inventions. And as a matter of fact. A lot of our inventions, uh, you know, were based on accidental discoveries. Mm -hmm. So uh, that, for me, is the, you know, is the most fun part of this work. You know, the you know the expectation of the unknown, and you know, and, and you know, and it could be quite you know, it could be quite fascinating. You know, when you are confronted with you know a surprise, a surprising phenomenon that you never anticipated would you know would be there. Well, Dr. Okochi, this is really interesting work, and uh, I just want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you very much, and I appreciate uh, the opportunity.